Hi everyone and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P.D. Spensky. Today we are discussing chapter 16. This is part 3. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast and you'll also find additional information on our website philosophyrekindled.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet, hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar. And I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome Pete. So Pete, third part of chapter 16, how are you this week? Um, yeah, I'm fine. I, everything's going brilliantly here. So uh, I just, you know, I'm doing what I do and can't, can't grumble. Sitting in the garden, we've had some great weather. I'm building another deck, but that's got nothing to do with this. The only thing that allows me to build the deck, of course, is... My belief in positivism and dualism, which we're going to come on to, <laughs> yes. which, we're now, which we're now going to come on to. Yeah, absolutely, because this second half of the chapter is about monism and dualism and positivistic views and idealism and it's all that good stuff. So I think we should just get stuck right into yeah, it. Yeah, let's go right um, in. Let's go. So we're up to a part, and what Aspensky's trying to say here is that monism's the way to go. He's got a good pedigree behind him. I mean, the 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 philosophers from the Ionian coast um, in the early part of what we call ancient Greek history, so we're talking probably 6th century, but when I say 6th century, as an ancient historian, we're talking about 6th century BC, not 6th century AD. But that, that sort of time... Um, you have people like Parmenides and, and other philosophers known as atomists. Now, they're known as atomists not because they believed that the world was made of discrete particles, but they were trying to prove that there was just one continuum. Think about that. We think that all of our investigations into energy, and they all come from these wonderful, skilled, fantastically clever mathematicians and cosmologists with all their squiggles on blackboards. Uh, and and that, and they're now coming to the idea that actually everything is just energy, and you know it, we can even the smallest particles. We don't know whether it's a wave or a particle, and it depends on how you look at it and all the rest of it. Well, guess what? Sixth century BC, the atomists on the Ionian coast seemed to know that the world and the the universe um, was one connected continuum of energy, and then they they came up with paradoxes like um. The paradoxes of Zeno to try to to show that the that the world um, the universe couldn't be made of discrete particles, for example. And I think we've mentioned this before. Um, if you tried to run a race of a hundred meters, ah uh, yes, bef yeah. Before you get to the end, you've got to get to halfway. So you've got to fifty meters, again. and then you've got and then you've got to get and, and so and so by that one. If, if you could continually cut down things into ever smaller particles, then you'd never actually be able to finish the race. Because people clearly do finish races, um, you know, they, they try to use that to prove that um, there must be a continuum that we're going through. We don't need to go into why or how, how that works or the way that it's been, you know, mathematicians have tried or, and, and claimed to have disproved it. All I'm saying is that even back then, there were these great philosophers that knew that there's something fundamentally wrong with a dualistic uh, and atomistic um, model of the world. 
So, so this is great. So that's yeah. So that makes a lot of sense, and it, and it makes sense with what I think Spensky is saying here. And correct me if mm. I'm wrong, but he's he's basically saying that positivism would have the game by the throat if it it's you know materialistic world being time and motion etc was mm. was all there was. But unfortunately, there's there's a small deficiency, and that is there is consciousness in the world. And uh, I love I love the way um, Spensky says it. He says, uh, you know, positivism would be absolutely correct in its picture of the world. There would not be even the smallest deficiency if there were no consciousness. Then it would be necessary, nolens volens, to regard the universe as an accidentally self-created mechanical toy in space and nothing more. Yeah, and then nothing. And then, of course, nothing would happen. <laughs> and that is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> that is the problem. And he, and he further goes on to say that the existence of consciousness spoils all the statistics. Like it's, you know, yeah, you, you were right yeah, there, I, I, but this one small detail throws you out. Yeah, I, I do. I do agree with that. And it's it's just, you know, he, he makes that point really well there, which is some which, as you all know, I believe is unusual for a Spensky. But, <laughs> I thought he made a point. Uh, uh, I, I thought he made that point really fucking well. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to say that again. I think he made that point really well, in as much as the analogy was short, concise. It didn't go over old ground, and it's it's so piquant that it really touches the spot and gets you to understand. Yeah, it's it says it in that you know a couple of sentences which we have been saying all the way through. Spensky, get to the point. And he yeah. has. And he really, really did. So he goes on to to further, you know, push the, the point about dualism and he, and he says that dualism basically annihilates itself because of this existence of consciousness. Dualism annihilates itself because if we admit the separate existence of spirit and matter and reason further on this basis, it will be inevitably necessary to conclude either that spirit is unreal and matter real, or that matter is unreal and spirit real, i.e. either that spirit is material or that matter is spiritual. Consequently, it is necessary to select one thing, spirit or matter. That's that's the, the, the paragraph. Now, cause, that's because the, paragraph. the reason I've read that paragraph out completely there is because I've put a, a line uh, by it and a question mark and said, why? <laughs> I have too, and I've said, why can't materialism and spiritualism be both real in different ways? Yeah, that's that, that was going to be my exact question. Okay, looking at this idea then about dualism annihilating itself, I mean, Espensky says that you can't have matter and spirit existing simultaneously. You either have the one or the other, is what he said. You know, it's like you either have to accept that um, spirit is unreal and matter is real, or matter is unreal and spirit real. Either you know, either spirit is material, or that matter is spiritually, is spiritual. And consequently, it's necessary to select one thing, spirit, either spirit or matter. And this is what he's saying. And I, I'm struggling a little bit here, and I struggle often to wonder why dualism does annihilate itself just because he's written those words. I'm not seeing that it does. I can't see why both why you can't come up with the idea that um, materialism, positivism, materialism is a, a denser form of a frequency that we are now going to call consciousness, the one that we can't actually see and touch in our third dimensional existence. But it is still a frequency. 
and I'm sure that it can exist as part of the continuum. Now, I'm not arguing that it does. I'm just saying that what Uspensky has said here hasn't persuaded me. It, I feel like there's something missing here that, that he needs to say to, to, to get that point across. I'm with you. I, that's why I was saying I think where he's heading is that monism's ultimately where it's all at and he's trying to, he's trying to annihilate dualism and uh, basically asking dualism to fall on its sword so that he can move on. But I think, in essence, isn't the whole point... Well, let me let me just run past what I think dualism is. Dualism is a belief in two powers, in, in essence, two, two sources. Uh, so one being a material world and one being a spiritual world, like they're, they're two, uh, two different aspects living or, or existing, coexisting. Would, would that be what, what dualism is? I mean, maybe I've got the definition yeah, wrong. There's more, there's more to it than that um, because you have to actually look at it on several levels. Well, you don't have to. Nobody's going to force you, but I'm looking at it on <laughs> several levels. And let's, let's look at the levels here. Okay. Yeah. Um, the idea is that, that positivism cannot exist. Forget, even if you forget spirituality and if you forget the psyche and you forget consciousness, you only look at um, positivism and you look at materialism. Can you um, show me coin with only one side? Yes. No, you can't. You can't. Yeah, Thank that's you. Right. So don't say yes because yeah. you can't. No, no, no. Uh, I was going. Yes, you're right. But yes, no, you can't. I know. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, the remember this. This is only going out as audio. People can't see you looking skyward in your thought process. So when you say yes, it <laughs> yes. sounds like you're telling me yes. you can. And I was going to say, you, let, let's go to Las Vegas because we're going to make billions there. <laughs> we're going to perform a miracle. <laughs> So we've established but, that but, but I believe anyway. you can't have only one side of a coin. You have to have two. <laughs> yeah, and, and, Moving and on. so on. You know. Yeah, but, but, but everything in the material world, you can't have one side. This, this is the whole point of being three-dimensional. You, you know, If we were in a two-dimensional plane, to come back to my hated <laughs> analogies of expensive, but if we were this two-dimensional plane, you know, you you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily see I suppose even on a two dimensional plane you you'd have to get down to the dot wouldn't you you have to become a dot a point as defined mathematically mathematically which has location but not dimension yes that would be one dimension wouldn't it yeah and then and then you've got monism right oh okay my brain hurts now so it's supposed to dualism. it's supposed to because yes. now we're we're now considering infinity which has always made mm. uh, human brains hurt. Mm, yeah, it's making my hurt. So, so here's... Well, you can't, you know, he's, he's dead right here. You know, materialism um, has to be dualistic. I mean, it, the, the whole nature of it, for us to have any meaningful experience of it, means that it has to be dualistic. But why why that can't ex coexist with um, psychic um, existence and, and consciousness, my, my least favourite word in the whole universe... Um, why it can't exist with that, I don't know. And I'm, I'm still not convinced. So let's see if that ex that gets explained better as we move forward yeah. into what he, how he discusses monism now. Because it might come out, yeah, and there might no. be other, other, other ways of expressing what, he, what his idea is here. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Could I, could I just ask you what mm -hmm. you think? Do you think that uh, this dualism is the time and motion concept where you can't have motion without time and you can't have time without motion? Do you think it's that? that that's, as dualistic well? as, that's dualistic as well. 
remember, you know, we can't have um, a material existence without time. Otherwise, everything, right. would be everything would be static. We would never be able to move. Move, well, movement we, we is a function did, yeah. of time. Movement is a function of yeah. time. Bear that in mind. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something here visually for the camera. Yes, yeah, and I, can, I can see your hands. So I am, so yeah. I am going to explain it. But if I lift my arm, no matter how quickly I do it, there is always a starting time and a finishing time. Always, all motion has time as a function. It does. And that's what po positivism is talking about. They're always yep. talking about time and motion, and you time can't and have motion. one without the other in a positivistic world. No. So, so it is yet another example of dualism. I mean, I gave the, the dead easy one of, you know, you can't have a one-sided coin, but equally you can't have movement without time. You know, the, there are two, there's always going to be two attributes to the to that. The interesting question is, um, can you have um, time without movement? And I'm going to say no, because we have um, a, a law of thermodynamics um, uh, that, that talks about entropy. In other words, nothing ever just stays. Yeah. You know, it, it, Even if it you're will. standing still, things are still moving. Your hmm. time, you know, your body is... Is, is decaying yeah you're aging and yeah. you know the, the cellular structure is changing if you took something like a block of steel and put it into space where there is no um environmental change to it where if we take space as being a vacuum and we say well it won't decay and it won't do this it's still not going to be still because it's going to be subject to gravity so it will be moving in space you cannot have things without motion we have things like geostationary satellites, which seem to be in one place over the Earth, moving with the Earth. But they're constantly having to retrofire to keep a particular um, velocity. They're actually moving. Even though they seem to be geostationary in one place above one particular part of the Earth, they are moving because the Earth's moving. So to be geostationary, they, they cannot be stationary. We can't have stasis without entropy you know even a chair I'm, I'm looking at objects in the room where i'm sitting and if nothing ever touched them you could come back here in 100 200 years time and believe me they would have collapsed they, they wouldn't be the same because there's oxidization in the air and all kinds of things that would go on and so on and so forth. so yeah that basically backs up positivism has to be dualistic because it believes in time and motion that's right I mean, that's, it, that's its basis yep that's yeah. it all right okay so, all right, let's see what he says. Let's, let's move on and see where, where we're going with this. So, Bensky then talks about monism can't regard materialism, and he's using the word materialism as basically positivism. Um, it cannot regard materialism as a basis of everything because it cannot ignore consciousness. It can only degrade uh, consciousness to a reflection of reality. So, it's saying, and I'll read you what it says, um, but to its sorrow, materialism cannot deny consciousness. It can only try to degrade it as low as possible, calling it the reflection of reality, the substance of which consists of motion. So he's still bringing in this, uh, trying to prove his point that dualism annihilates itself, and he's, he's saying, well, the scientists uh, come, come about and say, well, we'll just explain consciousness away by saying that it's just reflecting reality. So it's, it's the mechanism to which the real world is perceived. Well, that's what I think mm. he's saying, at least. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's a problem for the positivists. 
you know, they've done what they always do by ignoring um, something that they can't answer and and still treating what they're left with as the absolute reality. Why I feel contempt for scientists, this is why. <laughs> and, they're, and they're all like this. Okay, a, a great example. May have done this before. Um, if you take a geologist... By the way, this has been done. This isn't this isn't abstract. This has actually been done. You take a, an, a geologist to the Sphinx on the Giza Plateau by the, the Great Pyramids, and you look at the striations on the limestone at the base of the Sphinx, and you ask a geologist, and like I said, this has been done. I have seen the, the documentary, and you say, how was that caused? And they say, there's only one way that you can cause that kind of striation. It's um, in that kind of limestone. And it's by water erosion. So it's it's been standing in moving water. How old do you think the, the Sphinx is based on those striations? And the geologist comes around and says, well, it's at least, at least 15,000 years. And then you get the ancient historians say, it can't be. It can only be at the most 5,000 years old. Well, And the geologist then turns his back on him and says, this is what I do for a living. You can believe what you want and walks off. <laughs> So I find that the, the the people who are fighting for positivism are like the ancient historians. They've come to a conclusion on the basis of very little, uh, and because it suits the way that they're going, they want they will force other people, if they can, to believe what they they believe. When you get somebody that says something different, no matter no matter what the expertise now i'm not saying that Uspensky's the great expert in all of this but no matter what the expertise they will stick rigidly to their belief and they will twist themselves into knots trying to keep it the way that it is we see a lot of things around us that we choose to ignore because it doesn't align with our belief systems it's it's a yep. human condition and mm. science is a classic added you know well you know, we see light as a wave and then we see it as a, a particle. Well, how do you explain that? Oh, well, it just depends on, you know, the day and when who's looking at it and the instrument, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's, it's not explained. It's just glossed over. They don't, use, they don't use instruments to do this. They use abstract calculations. And it's the way that the calculation, it's the, it's the tunnel down which the calculation leads them. Then we're beyond what instruments can see. You know, the, these particle accelerators like the CERN project that, that's amazingly uh, underground circles the junction of three different countries. Um, if you wanted to go down that, that rabbit hole, we could say what CERN really is doing. But let's assume that it is there to fast accelerate particles so that we can actually smash them and then we can, we can see the result of, of what's happening and so on. These, these very rare occurrences. All they're doing is building a machine to try to demonstrate where the mathematics has taken them. The mathematics comes first. It's a bit like what Uspensky's talking about here, where we talk that you can't, which is where we're going to go now. Uspensky talks about, we've established the fact that a lower form cannot be the source of a higher form. A stone cannot jump into the air of its own volition. It needs the thought of something higher to pick it up and throw it, um, or whatever. But you know, we are, we are coming to that here. Well, it's the same with this abstract mathematics now. The mathematics is like the thought that then, that then generates 
activity in the material world, in the, pos the positive materialistic world, that ends up with you and me paying tax at extortionate rates so that these assholes can build a, a particle accelerator so big that the circle, that the torus, um, actually goes under the land of three, three separate countries in Europe. Um, that's, that's where we've gone. Um, do we need CERN? No. But, but it is, the mathematics is like the thought here, that, that's then the generator of this idea, this experimental idea that they're going to try to prove the, the mathematics. Yeah. So, so for yeah. me, you know, I think Espensky's got it right. He obviously couldn't have talked about CERN or any of these things, but he does use some really good examples, I think, to, to explain why you shouldn't just dismiss this the numinous as well let's come back to that that word that Carl Jung uses you can't dismiss the the numinous because the posit if positivism is real and not an illusion at the very least it has to be um, the result of some activity in a higher plane thought yes and nothing ever nothing ever happens without a thought and that's exactly where Spensky goes because he says well mm. if well he calls it consciousness he says you know if, if we degrade consciousness as low as possible to say it's just a reflection of reality, well, how do you deal with the fact that the reflection possesses, in this case, an infinitely greater potentiality than reality, than, than the actual reality? And, and I think that's a very good point then because, you know, we look at, as in, say, the thought, and we've, we've gone over this in previous chapters, the thought can create an uh, extraordinary amount of... Um, energy because it's got a whole lot of potential energy attached to it that can go on for centuries a thought we're going to say we're going to say in, infinite we're going to say that the potential energy is infinite you know it, yes, it has exactly to be so and even even the concept that's told as a story those stories can be told by people long after the person who had that original thought is long long gone so it has this life and it gets told and it gets bigger and bigger and over many centuries it can do so it has this potentiality so how can it be a lower reflection of mm. what is happening well, in that reality at the time and if you want to relate it to positivism the story that's been told century after century and it's it's got embellished and grown bigger it's not just the story getting bigger that shows us the conversion of potential energy into kinetic energy even the people that hear that story can be changed in ways that then affect what they actually physically do. Absolutely. Religion, Absolutely. religion is a great example. So somebody has this idea, for example, of Christianity. Let's, let's not go into the history of Christianity. Let's just say it starts off as an idea. You know that Jesus fella? Well, what he, what he was saying was fantastic. I'll tell you what would be great if a few of us got together and decided to live like that. Well, what you end up with is this great explosion in the um, 11th and 12th centuries and beyond, because it took a long time, of Gothic cathedrals all over Europe. So that thought of somebody saying, that Jesus bloke, you know what, he, he was saying some good stuff. Blessed are the cheesemakers. That's right. Did he say cheesemakers? I, I think he meant all, all dairy industry. <laughs> yeah, all dairy. There you go. But do you see what I mean? But there, that's another good example. Even when, even when a thought is misheard, it has then the power to do, <laughs> to do something. 
But I, I mean, my point was that those huge Gothic cathedrals and lots of other things came from that thought. It's unlimited. Yeah. The potentiality is unlimited of a thought to create. So if that thought was happening in the day when Jesus is, is conducting a sermon and everyone's listening and that person's standing there, their life materialistically is is time and motion, you know, they're going about their daily work and business, etc. That's very small compared to what that thought did Yeah. Over going time. forward so yeah over it time just ex so, it expanded itself moving through time yeah and if, and had and had positive material effects that we can look at the explosion of renaissance art the gothic cathedrals and we can go on we could just go on and on and on we could all we could then go on and, and also say that that thought also resulted in the wars and deaths of hundreds of millions of human beings over the last two cent two millennia that could not have come from a reflection of that person standing there listening to uh, a sermon. Uh, uh, it has to it has to have come the other way around. Like it has to be greater than that. I mean, that person stand, standing there listening to a sermon and suddenly a Gothic cathedral appears next to them. No, that's not how it's happened. The person certainly had to have had a thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make something of this. This guy's right. I'm going to get people to agree with me. We're going to meet every Sunday or when it, or on the Sabbath, as it would have been then. And, uh, and we're going to meet and we, we, we are going to try and live the life that he's preaching. And that ends up over time with Gothic cathedrals and so on. Mm -hmm. We're not suggesting that yeah. the thought... Although I am suggesting that if you were, if you got in touch with true reality to a particular degree, that yes, you could make a Gothic cathedral appear out of nothing instantly. But we are not there yet. You'd have to have incredible faith. You see the faith that Jesus had in mm. the gospel stories, that Jesus could have done it. The Jesus Loads that we read fishes. about in the gospel. This is, this is what we're, t yeah, but I, you know. Um, this is what we're talking about. These are the examples that one of the things that the Gospels, the Christian Gospels tell us is that there is unlimited potentiality in, and it's just a question of changing your thoughts. Let's use the word which I hate, consciousness, but it's a, it, it, all you need is to change your consciousness so that your thoughts and beliefs change to the degree where you understand that you can walk on water. I think walking on water is a better example. Mm. Um, you know, it's, mm. as an illustration, um, and Aspensky does get to to talking about that expansion mm. just later mm. on in the chapter. So yeah, I know. I, I mean, I think I think it's you know it, these are really good examples, and I think you know Aspensky's really on track here with mm. with where he's going with this by. You know, and, and I find a use for positivism. I mean, we, we couldn't have the fantastic experiences. We've been through this before. We couldn't have our human experience with without it, but we could have a better one if we were in greater control of it. And that involves us getting in touch with this mono-reality. I call it monis mm -hmm. monistic then, but I think people will confuse that with monastic. And I'm damned if I'm yeah. <laughs> talking about going into monist. a monastery. Monist. I think Spencer but, uh, calls it monist. Yeah, well, we call it mon monist. Yeah, yeah, mon monist. Monist is a better word, and I'll I'll give him that. Uh, so, so yeah. So, so yeah. So so that's well, that's his next point, and then he goes. No matter how hard we try to define consciousness in terms of motion, we nevertheless know that they are two different things. Thought can thought can exist without motion, but motion cannot exist without thought. That's the that's the nitty gritty of where this this little section goes. 
And in your in your text, does it say thought or consciousness? Oh, it says thought. Interestingly, mine says consciousness. Yep. It's exactly the same quote, but different words. And I like thought better. A thought makes more sense to me. I can actually imagine what thought is. Consciousness yep. to me is still this fuzzy, yep. def- undesigned thing. And I think that this is why my revised, because I've got the revised version. You've got the absolute yes. original, as I recall. And my revised yes. version, I think I think these little, these tiny little edits do make it, they explain things better. Much better. And I like that. So, so can we just say that again? Thought can exist without motion, but motion cannot thought, exist yeah. without thought. Without thought, yeah. Mm. And so, no consciousness, which I guess in your book would say, no thought, no time. That's you know, if you don't have a thought, you don't have a time. But no time, no motion. That's have right. Have you got that bit? I've got. Um, out of the psyche comes the necessary condition of motion, time. No psychic life, no time, as it exists for us. No time, no motion. Psychic life is thought. Yeah. I, I find this much more easy uh, to come to terms with. This, this like flowery consciousness thing um, makes it very, very messy to use. Um, whereas thought, as you say, everybody seems, everybody understands that they've had thoughts so that they know what a thought is. Yeah. And I, and I love that because mine, mine still says consciousness, but if you go, if you just paraphrase it and say no thought, if there's no thought, there's no time. And if there's no time, there's no motion. So basically, yep. the top of the pile. No thought, no thought, no motion. <laughs> no motion, no time, blah, blah, blah. And here, if there's no time and no motion, there's no positivism. So it That's must right. be the king a of the function. heap must be thought. Yeah, it's a, it's a function. Positivism is a function of thought, not the other way around. No, exactly so. And I think Spensky's made a great point there. And he's basically then kind of saying, well, I think he's kind of saying that thought, that's, if you look at thought as all there is, that's the monism. Like the rest of it is. And I love this phrase that comes, that comes almost directly out of that. We must recognize thought as a single principle and motion as an illusion of thought. That is absolutely brilliant. I I really love it. It means that there can be no monistic materialism. It's not possible. So materialism has to be an illusion. I love it. I I really think he is all of the things that I've complained about in the early chapters and the previous ones. It's almost like, oh, my God, I've I've really got a point here. It doesn't need any flowery explanation. Bam, bam, bam. And he he hits us right with it. And, And I think it's so easy to understand. Yeah, job done. So he's he is kind of explaining, I think, more about why why he's saying materialism can only be dualistic. I mean, he's you know originally that's where he was saying we still yeah. haven't got to the point as why why it annihilates itself. But I don't I don't even care if it does. I actually think it is it is annihilating itself when you accept when you come to accept that the materialism can only be dualistic. But we understand that there is something beyond materialism that has to be the cause of it. Because what he's coming on to now is what I've been saying since we started these podcasts. And if you went back to the early ones, you would bore yourself silly listening to me constantly saying that language is destroying our ability to have this discussion. That language isn't capable of discussing these things. And his his next bit... He says, our concepts are limited by language. 
Our language is deeply dualistic, but it has to be because language exists only to describe the material world and mo motion and time. And it can only describe things in terms of other things. Like you can't yeah, describe analogies. a blind person the colour red. Yeah, you can't say, yeah, it's analogies. It's only like you've seen that, it's like that, but it's a bit different, you know. Yeah. So it has to be dualist, deeply dualistic. It's not Absolutely. this kind of like that. I love, I love this lingu this linguistic um, idea that he, he he just pokes in there at the end of this um, paragraph. I, I used a, I used a great plosive there. Are you listen, people that know about sound recording, plosive p p places, plosive <laughs> in there. So anyway, um, he says in our language only an eternally becoming universe exists. The eternal now cannot be expressed in language and it can't the nearest i've seen it done is eckhart tolly and he can only do it by analogy and he and he and he only and he can only take you so far about the now the eternal now he can only take you to the the edge of the diving board you have to dive in yourself because the language will not push you over the edge yeah yeah and he's he's talked about this before about this eternally becoming universe and yeah, the eternal now because it's a concept that that is bandied about in various religions the eternal now but what does it really mean? Well, the eternal now. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The eternal now is static. That's right. It cannot move. So that's why he's he's saying that it can, we can only think of the eternally becoming universe, the ing. You know, the gerund there, the ing on the end of become, it's indicative of motion and time and time. It's time and motion. Being, being is different than becoming. Being can be static, the eternal now. But we live in this world where that's, that's infinity. We cannot deal with infinity. We need to be at an, a higher level of, and I will use the word now, consciousness, uh, to actually have an experience of infinity because we cannot we cannot imagine infinity using our language and not even using our mathematics it still becomes an abstract it's and he explained it i think many chapters ago when he said now is either you're either just coming out of the past or just going into the future yeah. there's no real there's no now point of the present now, yeah there's no now because it's it's always moving into the next it's always coming out of something into the next you know and and Eckhart Eckhart Tully tries to tell us how to ut utilize that non-existent now and that's why you know he can only take you so far but you know I'm, I'm not going to knock out Eckhart Tully because you know the power of now is 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 one oh, of the brilliant book the greatest books for just taking away the way of living in worry and stress. Yes, it's a brilliant book. I, I, I think it's, it, it is an amazing work. But, you know, the fact is, even he can't, t he can't describe the now that he's telling us to live in. Because of language. And, because yeah, of language. Cause la la That's... Yeah, because there is a limitation of language. You can't, there isn't a language on earth that can do it. Which is why one of the things I've been saying all the way along in these podcasts, we're talking about something that has to be experienced. It can't be discussed. I mean, I know we no. we're spent we're wasting half of our lives sitting here discussing it, <laughs> but but the fact is, you can only take a discussion so far. At some point, if you want to really know what this means, you've got to get out there and do it. What does that mean? I mean, if people are if people don't know what that means, um, 
a good place to start is the word meditation. But don't just meditate um, in, in the sense that all you think you're going to do is sit still. <laughs> I mean, sitting still can be part of it. You can meditate on the move. You'll learn these, these tricks. Um, we'll talk about that, the practical side of this more as we go along because um, Spensky does too later on in the book. So we'll leave yeah. it at that for now. But you do have to experience it. We can only go so far with language. The rest, for the next part, you actually have to take that leap off the diving board yourself. And then when you hit the water, you hope it's going to be water beneath. You have to trust that it will be water. That, In other words, that the leap will be safe. And then you can experience it. What you don't want to do is jump off the diving board thinking that you're going to hit concrete at the bottom. <laughs> I mean, and uh, it's just a bit of a spoiler alert. I won't, won't go into this just yet because we'll get to it. But as Spensky says, one, you know, one of our biggest problems is we don't actually know what we're looking for because we haven't experienced it and language doesn't explain it in terms of something we haven't experienced. Language only gives us what we know already. So it, it's hard for us to even know what it is we're seeking because we have nothing to compare it to until we've experienced it. So it's about opening up, opening up, opening up what we experience. Um, but, but we'll get to that. So I want to slip down to the end of the page here where Spensky mm. talks about uniformity and monism as being necessary to be established, you know, that, those, that way of thinking. Um, he says that for the present, it is only important to establish one thing, the necessity for uniformity and monism of the universe. So... I mean, I've skipped a few paragraphs, but in essence, I think what he's he's coming at here is he's saying we don't we haven't fully explained it, but if you can just accept that for the moment that monism of the universe that there is only one continuum, that's your starting point to start exploring this noumenal world. Mm. So he's asking us to really just take a leap of faith here. Well, he does, and I mean, and are we okay with that? Well, I am because he's acknowledged he's, he's acknowledged that he's doing it. I mean, he says, as a matter of as a matter of principle, it's not important which one we regard as the first cause. Either in my book, it says spirit or matter. He says it is essential to recognize their unity, and once we recognize that, then we've got something that we can hang on to and we can discuss further and try to and try to deconstruct in, in a meaningful way for us to incorporate into our lives. So, so he then poses the question, what then is matter? I mean, it's all very well us talking about matter and spirit and psyche and so on, but what do we mean by matter? When we, say, when we glibly use that word as though we all understand what it is, what does it actually mean? And this is where he goes on to explore now you know, uh, what that is. Because he says no one has actually ever seen matter. They've experienced nor, it. Nor will ever, he says. Nor will ever, yeah. They've experienced matter. Yeah, he says it's possible only to think matter. In other words, we're putting a label on something that we're experiencing. Yeah. For another point of view, it is an illusion accepted for reality. Let me give you an example of how easy that is. Whenever you watch a movie on the television, you believe that you, that it's real. Even when you go to the cinema, where, it, where, it, where the screen takes in your entire vision... Um, you definitely believe that it's real. You're in it. You're, if the story is told well, you're in it. Well, 
that yeah, the, yeah when when the when the creepy guys you know sneaking seeking in the dark i'm going don't go there don't go there from the lounge you know it's like <laughs> so you know so what we're saying is that matter is an illusion accepted as reality now i give i just give an example of how easy it is for us to get drawn into an illusion and and for it to be temporarily become our reality. What he's saying here is that what we believe reality is, a movie spans our entire lives that we think that we're in. That's and we've already saying. gone through this. This is the the whole lead up mm-hmm. of yeah, previous chapters. He's gone through all that in great detail, which I think, yeah. Yeah. So he says matter is a section of something, a non-existent imaginary section, but that of which matter is a section does exist, the four-dimensional world. So, I, you know, we, we have been through that, you know. Um, yeah, and I can accept that. I can, and I'm quite happy to accept it. I, I quite happy to, I'm quite happy to accept the, the illusion of time and motion, uh, which makes the material world. Um, and he certainly explains that. He's, he has explained that. Yeah, well, we, we, we'd be going over it. And I mean, he doesn't spend a lot of time on it here. It's just a reminder of what we've spoken about previously. And he says... Um, we fail to understand that a particular thing is merely an artificial definition by our senses of some indefinable cause infinitely surpassing that thing. In other words, when I'm looking at a chair in front of me, what I'm not looking at is an actual thing, but I'm looking at something that is an expression of a thought from somewhere, which, mm. I, which it is. And the thought infinitely surpasses that thing. Now, let me explain further. The chair that I'm looking at is a Poang chair from Ikea. Okay? I actually have one that's right in front of me. It's my client's chair from from a hypnotherapy point of view. What Espensky is making us understand is that somewhere, something infinitely greater than the material of that, that chair, the illusion of that chair, brought it into being. Somebody had a thought. Somebody had an idea. Now, we can even say that the thought itself isn't the first source, that something higher than the thought that that ended up in the design and creation of that chair uh, and the shop that sold it, that put it into my therapy center, all of that stuff, there might be something that was even higher than the thought. Something that impelled that thought to go into that particular person who then sat down and designed the Poang chair um, that Ikea then had built, put into their shops for me to have. And said, you know, you see what I'm saying here? That mm-hmm. illu- The chair itself is an illusion and it is just um, something that came out of a cause and the cause had to be a thought. Yeah. That's all. And a, little, a few sentences above that, he makes an interesting point about that. He said, if there's that chair in front of you and you cease to exist for some reason, will that chair mm-hmm. still exist? And he's saying it will only to somebody else who has consciousness that perceives it as a chair. Ah, so this this is where we come into something that I've spoken about before. It's called the agreement. We have an agreement. As human beings, we have this agreement. Um, it's one of the first things we learn is this agreement that we will see things the same. That when your mum and dad say, chair, chair, chair and they demonstrate what the chair is by sitting on it um you you get to believe that that chair is what it is we have an agreement Mm. we see things the same way 
it gets a lot more complex than that, you know, which is why when some one person dies, the world continues to go on around them. Or yes, so we feel. and seeing that or so chair. We feel. Yeah, you know. It's, and if if, uh, if a being had different senses? If, yeah, if we were all unique um, consciousness, let's use that word again, in having this experience, um, the the consciousness responsible for the thought that, that resulted in the chair, once that consciousness had gone somewhere else, the chair would not be there for the other consciousnesses. Would they say, ooh, did that just disappear? I've no idea. I, it's hard. The language makes it difficult for us to actually perceive what would happen in such a universe. In fact, we couldn't have the meaningful time and motion-based experience of 3D that we're having now if that were the case. We have to have this agreement for the materialistic, positivistic world to exist. Where does that agreement come from? Oh, that's right. Some form of higher psyche, numinal, monistic agreements. We're all the same. We all agree in the same way to have the same experience when we're down here having this materialistic, positivistic um, human experience. Somewhere at a higher level, there has to have been that agreement, and that, that agreement cannot happen from humans who are born onto this world. You can't actually, you could not teach people um, from birth, right, we've got a lot to tell you here, the sky is blue, um, this is solid beneath your feet, but if you jump off a cliff, that solid is going to hurt you. And, and all, You cannot teach people what matter is and what, the, and what time is. We, the agreement has to happen first. And then you, can, then, you, then you project that by, let's call it thought, from this higher power to, to put yourself in a place where you're going to have this human experience. I may not have explained that brilliantly. Do you know that example you gave a while ago about the uh, ships coming over to... Mm. Um, if it's not in your... Yeah, it's, it was the New World. It was the, the Spanish conquistadors when they, when they chanced upon um, Central American shorelines. The natives who were on the shore, the, the native inhabitants, by the way, not, not cunning or clever savages. These, these are people with massive, massive cultural um, buildings, art, and so on, and, and a society structure. But they didn't see the boats because it just wasn't in their frame of reference. Their brain just said, you don't need to... There's something coming over the, the horizon. I have no idea what it is. It's not, it, it doesn't affect what you're doing now. You don't need it. They didn't see it. The um, spiritual leader, the, uh, I don't know um, what they call the shaman, could see it. And what That's I'm right. thinking is, is the reason they could see it from what you're saying is that potentially because he tapped into that. To their part of an agreement. Yeah. That, that agreement yeah. and went, hang on a second. That's that agreement. I can see that, but trying mm. to tell the others who hadn't yeah. tapped into that agreement. So it's not yeah. on this level. It's on another level. Mm. Yeah, until it wasn't until they came ashore. And even then, this is why they were, you know, the people thought, they must be gods. They came, they came in armour. Um, eventually, they brought horses. Now, bear in mind that these people had never seen a horse. When they saw somebody riding a horse, they thought that rider and horse was one animal. Yeah, until some group agreement kicked in and went, nah, two separate things. Well, 
I think I, th I think when you see the guy get off the horse, I think that, that it breaks the illusion. But that happens. Or a fantastical animal that can break into two and then one again. You know, that that could have happened as well. You know, we don't know the thoughts that went through their heads. Well, I certainly don't. Uh, but that that is a docu well documented that they couldn't see the ships. They yeah, had no idea. That's interesting. That, that was ships coming over. They may have they their brain may have interpreted as a low cloud or mist coming in or something. You know. Well, they saw the ripples on the water, but they didn't see what was causing them. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I I don't know. The uh, it's 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 but that definitely happens. So you you can yeah. see that the it's a great illustration of the fact that. This is an illusion. The materialistic world that we have the agreement to operate in, we have we have a framework of agreement. Once you show somebody that's never seen a ship, if once you show them the process of a ship being built, they will forever be able to see ships after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because they do yeah. have the agreement of the material world. They do understand that a, a tree exists, that you can cut down a tree, that you can then shape that tree into a canoe or whatever the hell, uh, and that you can do that you can transform objects. We do have the we do have a common agreement with that. We have a common agreement that we see the sky. And if you ask somebody that didn't, you know, without using language to point to point to a colour on a chart, what colour is the sky, we'd all have a pretty common agreement of which colour we were pointing to. We wouldn't be pointing to red mm. or yellow. We'd be pointing to blue. And so we th that common agreement has to come from somewhere. It isn't taught after we're born. It is no. not taught after we're born. We're born with, with a framework of agreement that allows us all to have at least a common materialistic experience. What we do with that material the materials that we find can then be unique so that one group of people never sees a ship with sails and that when a ship with sails comes comes to them they don't see it because they don't need their brain does not need to interpret what they don't need to see what is it that we're not seeing i mean this is not a we're going further than Aspensky now here but what is it that we're sitting here not seeing because it's actually there and our brains are saying we don't need to interpret that for you well i'll tell you something my cat stares at things yeah my dog does too my both my dogs do and they react i've seen i've seen dick looking up in, at, at, at the top of a wall and his tail start twitching and, and moving yeah my cat too my cat will just go running in fright for no reason whatsoever let's just say if the mythical giant city-sized independence day movie sized spaceship in a low orbit came up over the horizon slowly coming above you is that the sort of thing that you wouldn't see i think it would be except that now we would wouldn't we because we've been primed by loads and loads of movies showing us that scene we might see it mm. but but to your point what you don't know what you don't know so you don't know you what, you're know not what you don't know that's right we have no idea what we're not seeing right now yeah and that's uh if anything, if any, but it well, could be something, but it could be something, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'd rather live I'm on the assumption that. that there are things there. Yeah, same here. Well, I'm gonna leave it there, Pete, because we have a little bit of the chapter left to go, and it's going to take a little bit more than five minutes. So I'm gonna to have to make this into a four-part series. Thanks again for a great discussion, and I look forward to finishing this chapter in the next instalment. It was my pleasure. It's been fantastic. And thanks everyone for listening. We look forward to your company for the fourth and final instalment of the panel discussion for Chapter 16 next podcast.